Hello, my dearest peace lovers and peacemakers. With Matin Rukhsefad, I'm Sarah Jamshidi. Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Right now, we are live streaming on many social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Amazon. So you can find us and you can submit your questions, comments to us. Matin is on the other side, taking care of those, those issues. And also, there are many podcast channels that you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else that you choose to listen to your favorite shows. Right now, at the moment, I am talking to you from from Seattle. Uh, my guests are from uh, many different cities, from Philadelphia, from Moscow, and from other places. But right now in Seattle, it's a glorious time because we do have sunshine. It's not always the case because, as you may know, Seattle is the city of rain, fog, and and mystery. Just a few days ago, it was fog. The fog was everywhere and I could not see the houses down the road. It was absolutely beautiful. So of course, my husband and I were working and I really hoped that we could we could walk in the fog. I love the mystery of love and fog. Speaking of love, we have decided to dedicate today's show to a program about Valentine's Day. I was just curious. I was curious to know what is this Valentine and why we are calling February 14th the Valentine's Day. So I started researching and there you go. Historically, St. Valentine was a Roman priest who performed secret weddings against the wishes of the Roman emperor during the third century. Emperor Claudius II decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and family. So he outlawed marriage for young men. St. Valentine saw this law as unjust. He defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. When the emperor discovered his priest's disobedience, he ordered that St. Valentine be put to death. By the end of 5th century, Pope Glacius declared February 14. It's been told that St. Valentine was executed on February 14. So the Pope decided February 14, the day of St. Valentine's Day. It was then the date became associated with the love and romance. True to the spirit of the Valentine's Day, we decided to take a look at love, romance, and intimacy from a very particular point of view. How how Muslim women or women in Muslim majority countries celebrate love, intimacy, relationship, and sex. Joining me are three women who get serious about fighting back against what is still a taboo rooted in Muslim communities. So I do have with me Chantal Blake. 
Chantal is trained environmental engineer as well as practical nurse. However, she couldn't settle until she found the answer to her spiritual quest. She traveled to Yemen to study Quranic recitation, Arabic grammar, and morphology under the patronage of a sheikh. After visiting Algeria, Oman, Morocco, and Turkey, Chantal settled in Omani's capital, Muscat, to devote her time and energy to women's wellness and holistic education. Deeper Feminine, an educational platform, is a poster child of her journey. Dr. Nicole Monteiro is a mental health expert, researcher, and consultant. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology from Howard University and received training in trauma, PTSD, global mental health, and treatment of survivors of war and torture. Nicole is currently an assistant professor of psychology at Chestnut Hill College. Welcome. And we do have Nayla Clay. Nayla Clay was trained in social work and and counseling before she met her husband, Hassan Clay. After they married, they designed and now manage a group couple therapy organization called That Clay Couple. It's a very cute story about Hassan and about Nayla, how they met and how they are managing their organization on hassananayla.com. I do encourage you to check their website. So, so very welcome, ladies. I am so honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So, Shanta, in your opinion, I, I'm wondering to see, in your opinion, what is love and whether or not you have found love in your life? Oh, big question <laughs> to begin with. What is love? Oh, man. Um, I, I feel like it's something that's so hard to, it's hard to define, but I think you recognize it when you experience it and you feel it. This, this desire to want so much good for another, an overwhelming sense of care and compassion for another. And I feel like as we go through life, there are certain relationships that really bring you to uh, the, the, the overwhelming sensation of what it means to feel love and to be in love. I actually remember, I've been married almost 16 years, and I remember in the first weeks of my marriage, I remember feeling like, I love my husband so much, I don't know what else to say or do. I just was uh, speechless and overcome with the emotion. And then you have children and there's, there's another level of love. So I think it's uh, this, this beautiful and powerful connection that keeps us um, connected to one another in a kind, compassionate and caring way. Um, whether mm -hmm. it's our, uh, it's a spiritual love, a physical love, Whatever it is, it's this powerful connection that's that's really hard to quantify or qualify. Maybe hard to quantify or qualify, but I am just wondering, Nayla, there is such a stigma, at least as much as I understood, against against the Muslim women community. This is stigma that uh, Muslim women cannot express themselves sexually at least, or, or they are oppressive, they are submissive. So is this a stigma true in your opinion? <laughs> Based on my circle? No, it's not. 
wholeheartedly when we look at it collectively? I cannot say, say that it isn't because with Muslim women, they come into these networks that don't allow that level of self-expression. And then while that may not be who she innately is, she succumbs to this stereotype and this belief system about who it is that she should be as a Muslim woman. However, the key thing for Muslim women to do is to be your authentic self so that that stereotype and that stigma will change. You know, something that I say often is that I'm not a National Geographic Muslim. You know, the ones that you've been reading about in the magazines, I'm not her. I define myself on my own terms. That is exactly the point that I wanted to mention as next question. In my experience, I've seen women asking questions or women are in this kind of a platform of this. They tell me that oftentimes uh, they, they see their husbands sort of expect them to perhaps perform this kind of intimacy and loving relationship as it's been portrayed in Hollywood. And then it just drives me crazy. So I, I just wonder if from uh, Nicole, maybe you and, and any, any other ladies here, that what do you say to a woman from, say, from Oman or from a, any Muslim community? Nicole, I'm going to start with you. Comes to you and say that, so what is your suggestion for me to be a more kinder, loving partner? Yes, I think that's a great question. I would say, first of all, turn off Hollywood, turn off the movies, turn off the TV shows. Those are entertainment. They in no way reflect the full reality. Our lives are so complex with so many nuances and individual differences. And so when you see those shows, those Hollywood portrayals, they just have no bearing on your real life. And it actually causes so much more pain to try to define love or model love after what you see in a two hour script that was written to only show part of the picture. And so you really have to learn how to keep tapping into yourself as it was stated, who are you authentically? And it may look completely different from anything that is portrayed on Hollywood. You know, I can't emphasize how much those images can be damaging because a lot of women feel like if I don't look just like what I see on the screen or I don't behave or feel or think like that, then myself, I'm not valid. And nothing is farther from the truth. You really have to start from yourself and from within. Excellent, excellent. So for the sake of controlling the sound quality, I'm going to go to Chantal and then to Nayla. Let's say a lady from uh, Moscow comes over and tells you, I, I'm just seeing these movies on, on TV. I want to be Nicole Kidman. I want to be this and I want to perform like that. What is your suggestion to this person? I mean, I have to echo what Dr. Nicole said authentic, then it's not real. And who really wants a romantic partner or even a life partner who's playing out a role in someone else's script as opposed to being who they are and expressing their love um, in their own unique way. Um, so I think it's really important for any relationship, wherever they are, to find out what connects you to one another. What are your common interests? 
um, your common uh, desires, and how can you celebrate your unique definition of love within the context of your marriage and together, you know, it's not, um, you know, your, your relationship is not something that's on a screen for the public to see. Um, how you define love and what your unique love language is is something very personal and sacred. And so I would just recommend that people get in touch with their unique way of expressing love and, and how their partner best receives their expression of love. Mm -hmm. Naila, I think you just uh, touched upon this issue, unique love. And Nicole talks about, I mean, just this kind of collective pain that you may experience of um, comparing against something unreal. And, and we are talking about uh, the unique self uh, expression of, um, of intimacy. And I wonder what is your suggestion to a woman who comes over and says, hey, I want to, may I see these movies and uh, somehow I want to replicate in my, in my own life. I think the beauty of this is, is that we're talking about a, a relationship between a man and his wife. And so we're talking about something that's very, a very personal and private space that is not scripted and is not on a screen. So at some point, these systems that we're talking about where we're, where, that are imposed by the media, if you succumb to it, then it becomes self-imposed. And so you can take advantage of this opportunity of, of privacy between the two of you and be sensual. He's going to benefit from it. You're going to have fun with it. The key thing is the only person you really have to get to buy into it, two people, one, your spouse, and then two, you. That's not that difficult. We're not talking about everyone who's watching a movie. We're just talking about the two of you within your own relationship. So start there. But the first thing is, is that you have to give yourself permission to say, I want to explore me for me. This means, and this is going to be a controversial topic, but this even means, you know, in your own way, even learning and knowing your own body. And then sharing that with your husband. And there are those who are going to take that interpretation many, many ways. You take it however you like. I will say as an adult, as someone, the first place that you, you should be able to share your body and get to know it is with yourself. And then it becomes much easier to be able to explore that and introduce that with another person. Absolutely. So um, I'm just going to give this example of me without, you know, projection on anyone because, yeah, it's just easier. Let's say I want to know me and my body. Uh, one way is, I, I don't know, look at the mirror naked, see, okay, what this is and enjoy the body. And the other one is, uh, is to be able to express of me, who is me, with my husband, right? But have we, in, in the Muslim community, have we been uh, open to this? How, how do we learn? It, no, I, th I think that this forum is one of the first places is that to give people consent to even know that it is an option because it isn't. You know, I do a lot of premarital counseling and we think, oh, premarital, that's good. No, I know couples who have been married three to six months and have yet to be intimate. 
because they are struggling with the process of knowing how. And people are like, how, how you don't know how to have sex? There are people who on their wedding night, that is the first time that they have shared their body and emotional and physical nudity. That can be traumatic. And having these discussions about what do you do? How are you awkward and intimate at the same time? And how do you resolve that? And how are you patient with that while you're also excited? These are real conversations to be able to have. And we think about, you know, people think about, oh, she's talking about touching yourself. What does she mean? No, I'm even saying just even being able to know, I like that this feels soft to me when I rub my lotion on my arms, that this feels soft. I really do like how it feels, you know, when when I'm, I'm, I'm taking a bath and how my skin feels. All of this is about learning your body. You know, we're, there are so many ways that we can be mindful of our sensuality that we ignore. Absolutely. I would like to get Nicole's perspective, although we are talking about sensuality, getting comfortable with who we are, sensation and all of those. But I can't help. I don't want to divert against the conversation, but I really can't uh, help to think what about people and women who've been through trauma? You know, I, I lived through war, I lived through revolution, and trauma is huge. So what is your suggestion to a woman who is just, her body is locked out or locked up? <laughs> She's just have a hard time to even comprehend any of these. Yes, no, because trauma is so all-encompassing. It can really lead to a person, a woman shutting down. And so I think it's so important to First of all, have compassion for yourself to know that it may, again, it's not going to look like you see on TV or what you hear about, you know, in different stories. For you, it might just look like a small step towards doing one small thing where you can awaken your senses. In some ways, a lot of what we're talking about is sensuality, sort of, you know, trauma tends to deaden us so that we're just kind of shut down and cut off. And when you start to awaken your senses, whether it's just knowing, you know, feeling a touch on yourself or um, getting in touch with different scents and being connected to those or looking at different colors and different textures. There are so many ways to start to get more connected to your sensuality and yourself as a sensual being, which we all are as humans, that can be in a slower pace that doesn't necessarily you know, overwhelm you in a way because of some of the past trauma that you've experienced. And probably because of that, Chantal, that you decided, uh, I, I just need to do something about this to to educate, especially uh, Muslim women, to to get to get connected back to their sensuality and self. So tell me about deeper feminine. It's uh, interesting because Dr. Nicole and I had this exact same conversation a couple of years ago when I was conceiving of the course and imagining what would a holistic sexual education look like for Muslim women and, and something that was not just relegated to just performance or what to do in the bedroom, but that helped women deeply connect to their sensual self, appreciating themselves 
as they're created to be a sexual being and also being connected to all of the aspects of our life that impact our libido, impact our sense of body comfort, self-esteem, um, and just even our spiritual connection, seeing sex and sexuality as a sacred act as well. And so I remember Dr. Nicole and I were discussing this. I said, maybe this isn't so important. There's way bigger issues in the Muslim community. And Dr. Nicole said to me, no, this is exactly why we have to do it. This is our basic fundamental essence of our being. If we cannot connect with other, the most fundamental need that we have as human beings is to connect and to be intimate and to be able to find that common connection and relief and release with another human being and with a partner. Um, so yes, this was the foundation for Deeper Feminine, realizing that many Muslim women are becoming wives, becoming mothers, but still not understanding what is my body capable of doing? Um, how do I really embody being intimate, not just doing it for someone else's enjoyment or approval, but actually being connected to what I intrinsically feel, how can I get in touch with how I feel and how I want to feel in the company of my partner. Um, so the idea of Deeper Feminine was to take away the performance, take away the, the jurisprudence of marriage, the rights, and just get back to the core. Who do you see yourself as, um, as a woman, as a human being, and how do you give yourself permission to express yourself sensually, sexually, before you even engage with another person? Speaking of which, I know that we are going to go back to women, how to, I mean, what to do uh, as a probably better lover. But I, I would like us to know your advice about uh, what men needed to do. So therefore, to be a better partner in this, in this phenomenon. Naila. Because I do marriage or all couples counseling with my husband, and I've been in this field over 20 some years, so I've counseled all genders. However, I do believe that men say things in my spouse's presence that they would not tell me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I hear my husband say so often, that is, he calls it finesse, you know, men not being able to finesse their wives, not have any swag. And it goes back to what Chantal just said, getting caught up in the rights. I give you your rights. I provide, I protect, you know, I establish the prayer in the house. What else do you want? Well, you know, maybe she wants to feel desired. Maybe she wants to tap when she walks through the kitchen from you. You know, she wants your attention. She wants to know that you can have a desire for me even before we get to the bedroom. And these are the things that men can do. Express your desire in a way that is beyond the physical. Excellent. Express the desire beyond the physical. And you mentioned finesse. What is finesse? finesse. Next, <laughs> it is um, um, what men do during courtship to get you. <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> yes, awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, everyone understood that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, English, my fourth language, so <laughs> I didn't know finesse. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole, so what is your advice to men? Yeah, you know, it's so hard, right, telling as a woman to tell men what to do, but I completely agree. Where's the, you know, so much of sexuality and sensuality, it's in the mind, it's in the 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 spirit is outside of the bedroom so stop kind of jumping over the journey and worrying about the destination the journey is so sweet every moment where you you know look at give you steal a, a look or you do a little flirtation or you let your wife know that you're still a little shy or a little you know like kind of um surprised by her and you know that because a lot of times i know men will say well she needs to act more confident and it's an interplay as i also tell women like the more you start to get confident with yourself that will sort of spark a little curiosity from your husband like oh okay this is different that will how do i show my confidence in this relationship yeah you know it start it, it sounds cliche it really starts within when you start to know one little thing that that teases you or pleases you or makes you feel good and it maybe your husband does that and you respond like oh i like that you know it'll be something different we all as humans respond to novelty so even if you know yourself a little bit more know one little thing that your husband might do that you enjoy and you show him that even in a subtle way if he's observant and he can notice that it will spark curiosity because it's a little bit different it's novel and then it's that interplay you know then he might do something that's a little a little different there's a great writer that talks about marriage therapist esther perel and she talks so much about how sometimes when we become so emotionally intimate with our partners and familiar desire can go down so we have to constantly be trying to recreate mystery and novelty and um, playfulness within our relationship so that, that there's always excitement and then we can have the best of both worlds, which is really knowing someone, being intimate and familiar, and also having a little bit of that excitement and, and you know, newness. Awesome. And I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> okay. So here, okay, I, I tried to do my best to propose the question and it's out of blue. In the... Islamic culture and Muslim culture, we hear uh, men say, women, women are so available to me. In this religion, men can, uh, can marry four wives, right? But in this religion, in my home country, women get uh, stoned. <laughs> they are not doing it anymore, but they get stoned for adultery. So, I mean, it's not two-way relationship. Men say that okay so if my wife is not available i go to second third fourth mm -hmm. but the wife cannot say that there is no mm -hmm. second third and fourth and even extra it's just not available especially for uh, countries like iran turkey oman gulf region all of those so the question is sometimes men feel that they do not they are not obliged to mm -hmm. do any extra work because women are available and puts more pressure on, on women's side, isn't it? It, it does. Uh, sadly, when it comes to that 
those circumstances, there are two options. I don't like the first one, but it's a real one. That's divorce. But the Say it again. Divorce. Mm -hmm. divorce. Mm -hmm. That's a real option. Now, and the second one is mm -hmm. your marriage will have many marriages in it. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes we have to get rid of the idea and the expectation of how we thought our marriage was going to be and define it on the people who actually show up into the marriage. And so if you are going to stay in the marriage, yes, there is the union with their, with your spouse. But if you want to be able to have the capacity to thrive in this marriage, you will need to look somewhere else for those spaces to inspire you. The marriage will not be it. Excellent point. I just needed to do a few quick adjustments because of the sound quality. Okay, Nicole, did you want to add anything or Chantal? Because I have a follow-up question and then we go to mid-program. Mid yeah, I mean, I think I agree. It's, it's a real problem and it's a real issue. And I think, you know, when there are cultural norms that, um, that disregard the endowed rights of women, because saying that women are available that's not at all the purpose of polygyny or you know um the sort of gender divisions in islam the purpose of those things is to give enjoyment and rights to all involved in equality so when you have people taking advantage if a man says oh well i don't care you know that is a real issue it can cause trauma to the woman and i think that's the root of a lot of societal changes that you see when women are like, no, we, you know, whether they go towards feminism or whatever, it's like, no, this is not right. We have to, this is an injustice. It's injustice. And as I wanted to just explain that we can lay out this kind of arguments because because of Western values. It's a Western value that, okay, we say this is women's rights, it's human rights, and, and this is our rights, so you, you cannot take it away. Chantal, I wonder if you have, if you would like to add anything. I don't want to I, miss you out. Yeah, I mean, I, intrinsic to Islam itself, you know, um, it, you, you can't just uh, pick and choose what aspects of Islam you want to uphold. So yes, having more than one wife is permissible, but at the same time, you cannot have that without the um, directives to be equitable, to be fair, to be just, to be loving. Um, so having multiple wives doesn't mean that, you know, you can mistreat one or the other or treat them like they're all dispensable. Like, okay, if you're not interested in me today, then I'll just go to someone else. So it's really important, I think, for us to to revive Islam in a holistic practice, right? Not just the do's and don'ts, the, the bare minimum of what you can and can't do, but what you should and shouldn't do. And how do we really embody um, Islamic character, prophetic manners, and really bring life to how we practice Islam, not just a marginal permission to do and not do certain things.
Very good point. Please, please stay put with me. You are watching to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Martin is on the other line. She'll join me at the end of the program to say hi. And she's helping me out with just um, getting the conversation going. We live stream our show on many social media channels. Please join us, write comments, questions, and we try to present them to our guests. And also the podcast show is available in 11 podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, many, many. You can find us very easily. So when you go to listen to our program, please leave a comment for us. This is one of the ways other people can find our show. And um, it's one of the best ways that people can find our show. So this program, including previous shows, can also be found on Goldtune, a peace journalism website that I run with the help of talented group of editors and correspondence. Please visit G-O-L-T-U-N-E, goldtune.com and sign up for our for our email list. So here's, I have the name, I just needed to uh, put it handy. These individuals so kindly entrusted us and left their email for us and we are in communication with them. Sakina, Amrin, Noor, Mohammed, Shanika, Mariam, Karina, Sarah, Jenny, and Ahmed. Thank you for signing up uh, to our newsletters. For our next episode, next Tuesday, we are talking with Padraig Otama, author of In the Shelter, Finding a Home in the World. Otama is an Irish poet, theologian, and traveler who writes extensively about language, power, conflict, religion, and he'll be talking to us from London. For the following Tuesday, we are talking with Dr. Sima Yasmin and Fahmida Azim, authors of Muslim Women Are Everything. The book is designed in the vein of the famous Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. It focuses on inspirational women around the world, past and present. This book is focuses on Muslim women. It's, uh, in fact, 46 Muslim women who have made an impact in different areas, including dance, politics, business, science, and history. Dr. Yasmin is an Emmy Award journalist, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and medical doctor at Stanford University. Azim is a cartoonist, artist, and illustrator whose work has been featured on NPR, BBC, Dallas News, and many major networks. To mark International Women's Day, we will talk to Fatima Sadiqi president of Association for Middle East Women's Studies, or AMUSE. She is a professor of linguistic and gender studies and author of numerous studies on women's movement in Maghreb. The Maghreb region includes Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria. Our other guest for International Women's Day is Eileen Mari Tripp, Professor of Politics, Gender, and Women's Studies at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Tripp is the author of a recently released book, Seeking Legitimacy, Why Arab Autocracies Adopt Women's Rights. I am reading the book and uh, tremendously enjoying it because it conceptualizes many of the issues that I covered back in Tehran about, about women women's rights and women's movement. Back to this hour, we are talking with Chantal Blake, 
a trained environmental engineer, organizer of deep feminine, and advocate for a more holistic views of women's lives. Dr. Nicole Monteiro, a trained mental health professional, professor of psychology, and one of the organizers of Deeper Feminine, and Nayla Clay, a trained social worker and consultant, and one, uh, one half of a husband-wife duo that specializes on couple group therapy. Okay, ladies, I would love to learn more about Deeper Feminine. I know Chantal explained about Deeper Feminine, but Nicole and Nayla, you know that you are one of the instructors. So tell me more about Deeper Feminine, how people can find it and, and what's at stake for, uh, for the audience. I know that you have educational programs. Nicole? Yes, Deeper Feminine is sort of a platform to for so many ways to reach women to give them holistic education around their sexuality from an Islamic perspective. We have the Deeper Feminine course, which is a very extensive course, Chantal, I'm sure will tell you much, much more, but it touches on various aspects of femininity from sisterhood to the sacredness of our bodies, to the science and psychology of our sexuality, to self-care, holistic self-care. Um, we were also able to, to launch um, a very successful online summit last year, again, Chantal's brainchild, the Sacred Sexuality Summit, where we had so many speakers uh, from around the world offer their wisdom and their insight to really inspire women to um, claim their sensuality and their sexuality and just their self-esteem and their rights, their human rights as women to be comfortable in, with themselves and in their bodies. And so um, we're at deeperfeminine.com. We have led a guided version of our course, which included sort of live group coaching for participants in the program. And Chantal has some really exciting things coming up in terms of um, gearing this also to a younger audience. So we can start to train women earlier. I know that Nayla is one of the speakers. So Nayla, what is your connection with Deeper Feminine? Oh, I was one of the instructors for- Instructors. Yes. For and tell me more. Course, for a course that they had. And I had fun with it because I was able to talk about something that I did like, and that was sensuality. Um, you know, sensuality for me as a therapist is so connected to mindfulness. So I was able to um, explore that with, with their program. Excellent. So I would like to know if I come to you, I am a Muslim woman, I am married, I come to you and I say that please give me one or two tips of how to improve my intimacy and love relationship with my husband. What would be your, your tip? Chantal. Okay. My tips, well, one would be definitely to um, take a close look at your hormonal health. A lot of women have a very tense and difficult relationship with their bodies, especially their reproductive organs, their genitalia, etc. Because if they have painful periods, if they've experienced any form of sexual trauma, or if they have any negative experiences connected to their, their womb, their vulva, their breast, their female anatomy, then it's really hard to um, be able to express yourself physically and intimately with a partner. My 
passion is around hormonal wellness and womb wellness. So I think it's always really important for women to take a close look at their health. How are you inviting vitality and wellness into your life? How are you feeding yourself? How are you feeding your mind, your thoughts? Um, how do you speak to yourself? You know, do you speak to yourself and about yourself in damaging ways? So how can you then expect to feel good about yourself and share the good feelings you have about yourself with another or even receive positive attention from your partner if you yourself have been talking negatively to yourself about yourself and not honoring your female design. Um, I so think it's, we are talking about hormone and self-talk. Nicole, what would you tell mm -hmm. me how what to improve? Um, well, I always tell people you have to take a few steps back in terms of being in touch with your own emotional well-being. And a great way to do that is through writing. I'm a huge fan and coach people around journaling and using it to really understand some of their deeper thoughts and fears. So I would just tell each, you know, I would tell women to write down what are the, the five things that um, you're scared of or that you're anxious about or that you want to change about your intimate relationship with your partner. And that will help you to get a better view of even where to start. Like, what are your fears? What are you, your conflicts, the things that you're not sure of? Um, but writing can be an amazing way to get, get in touch with those. those Nicole things. is writing. And how about Naila? What do I need to do? You know, the first thing I would ask is finding out if there's a history of, of trauma, abuse, and we're going to hope that there's not. And so I'll move forward in, in that and answer it from that context of that being absent. The first thing is, what is it that you love about your body? And how is it that you can have a greater relationship with those things? The next thing is, what is it that you want to love about your body? The things that you haven't connected with, that you haven't even considered doing. Look at those, find out what they are. See that your body is actually a place of benefit, that it has so many good uses because sex is such a mind thing. It begins, as I said earlier, before, before the bedroom. And the last thing is so important. This relates to what someone just said about self-talk. Use feeling words. We say things such as, well, I believe this or wow the sun sure looks nice today say things like it feels good to be in sunlight you know today has really felt like a very good day use feeling terms change how you speak about how you how you are where your emotions are and how you are interpreting your body and how it's interacting with the world here is my um dilemma that I am dealing with. Okay, the dilemma. Many centuries ago, in the medieval Islamic world, erotic literature and books were uh, describing sexual techniques were commonplace. For instance, Ali ibn Nasr al-Khatib wrote Encyclopedia of Pleasure in the 10th century. 
You also had The Perfumed Garden of Sensual Delight, a book by Ibn Muhammad al-Nafzavi, written in the 15th century. There is an even a large amount of erotic content in the tales of 1001 Nights compiled during the Islamic Golden Ages. Yet, the only book that I could find about erotic, about sexuality, and I reviewed, uh, four, four Muslim women reviewed, is The Muslim Sex Manual, A Halal Guide to Mind-Blowing Sex. First of all, please tell me that you are going to write the next book. And second, <laughs> there you go, lovely. There you go, lovely. And, 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 and. Second of all, we are so primitive when it comes to sex. We as Muslim community, why? This is <laughs> I held this up because this is a book written about by a scholar who looked at African Islamic erotic African eroticism. And so this is a modern phenomenon of being very prudish and very, you know, they say there's influence from the Victorian world because this is not our tradition. And, you know, there are books and people are reconnecting and I encourage all of us, it, you know, sensuality is part and parcel to the Muslim world and to the ancient world. Food, scent, color, all of that builds up sensuality. So this idea of then being prudish is completely I don't know, maybe someone else knows more of the roots of it, but it's not, it's a false reality. In our Sacred Sexuality Summit, um, which is the summit that Sister Nyla is referring to that she participated in, we had a participant, uh, Sister Manal, who runs Across Red Lines. And she actually asked the same question and her research brought her to the, the influence of colonialism on the Muslim world. Um, the the kind of um, invasion of Victorian attitudes that represented other religious traditions, not our own. And so we have these classical texts that talk about erotology, talk about sexuality, aphrodisiacs, et cetera, but them not being translated or carried forward into scholarship. So we have to be really conscientious of the political dynamics that have shaped Muslim thought as well as the impact of, um, you know, the colonial presence, imperialism, etc. Naila, are you going to write the next book about how Muslim couples uh, mean can uh, engage in a, a, in a marital sexual relationship? Well, I just wrote my first one. On Excellent. Tell me, tell me. Yes, I know. I know you did. But since you, if you insist. <laughs> I'll give it a shot, but I do it, it. It is imperative for us to have these honest conversations, but this is the problem. And you, you use the word dilemma. When I talk to couples and you ask, for what reason do you not have public di displays of affection? You know, w w with the degree of, of tact, no one has an answer for how they were taught this. Mm -hmm. No one goes to the, the masjid or to any place of worship and someone stands at the minbar or at the altar and says, you cannot do this. And I'm not saying it never happens, but generally speaking. So where do we get these stereotypes and this belief from? 
you know, in our sessions, we do simple things like breathing exercising with couples. Yeah, simple things such as holding hands. You're not arguing today, hold each other's hand. These are all things that lead up to better sex and greater love and better connection. And I think part of it though, where it all comes from, this self-imposed thing, and it's the last thing that I just said, the connection. You think the connection is so physical and it's not. There's mm -hmm. a spiritual connection and there's an emotional connection and there's a mental one. And when we look at those, we might have better sex. Excellent. Nicole, I just had this hunch that you would like to add something. Oh, no, I'm just excited for the answers. I think we're in a great yeah, yeah. age where we can recreate what what's our rights and we can examine all of these false ideas that imprison us from our sensuality. Mm -hmm. I would I would like to add, you know, it's sometimes it's our own prudishness that mm -hmm. like affects the way we see things. So, for example, if you look at the the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, we know about how he slept and how he ate. But the same narrations that tell us that also tell us that he used to passionately kiss his wives, that he used to drink from where they drank, that he um, would use gentle words and encourage foreplay and suck on the tongue of his wife. And we hear that and we're like, oh, my gosh, that sounds too much or too heavy. But this is part of excellence in intimacy. We want to be excellent worshipers. We want to be excellent uh, leaders. We want to be excellent businesswomen, whatever, excellent mothers, wives, etc. We should also want excellence in our love life. And mm -hmm. the prophet gave a beautiful example of that, but somehow we've segregated that or forgotten it or we've turned away from it. So why um, do you think it's the case, Chantal? Why? I mean, just your opinion. You know, you have to also consider that um, some cultures intentionally narrow the lens that they look at Islam through to zoom in on what they want to overemphasize and what they want to de-emphasize. Um, you have cases in different Muslim-majority countries where they will literally adjust Islamic curriculum so it promotes certain ideas but doesn't promote other ideas. And so you have to kind of be uh, aware of the different ways that people use religion to manipulate how the society um, practices that faith. But if we take the time to study and go to the resources and references that are available to us all, we can see for ourselves that this is part of our tradition too. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Let's say you have the power to improve sex education among young practicing Muslim girls. What would you do? The, you, you have the power. What would you do? I would say talk about it. First of all, know your body parts and the names and what the functions are and your hormonal, you know, functioning, as Chantal was saying, and know that just um, dispel myths about that you can't look at yourself or whatever shame is taught. We have to teach the opposite of it. But first of all, we have to just literally talk about it. There are so many women that say they were never told X, Y, and Z. They don't know 
their reproductive organs inside of them. So we don't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. In addition to that, this is something that I think is so crucial because as a therapist, it's something that I encounter. And it is young girls, young women who are not prepared for the physiological responses that their body has to certain things. And then they begin to shame and condemn condemn themselves. So to understand that when you see Ali walk into the masjid and he says something to you, even from across the room, your body may have a response. And it does not mean that you are going to hell. There is nothing wrong with you. To understand that your body will respond to stimuli and to stimulation. And it doesn't mean anything negative about you. And so our young ladies, they are not understanding that my body may do something that I did not plan for it to do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Chantal, you have the power. Yeah, I think um, for me, um, just to echo what's been said is, you know, for for us to communicate that there's not enough conversations that some of the women that I work with their mothers and they'll tell me, well, I can't talk to my teen. Can you talk to them? Um, and so, you know, there's there's definitely some gaps. I think we're missing some really good community education, rites of passage programs, ways to bring girls into womanhood together as a cohort, instead of waiting or relying on their mom to feel comfortable having a certain conversation or their aunt or someone else. And so I think it would be helpful for us to revive the tradition of of actually having community-based programs that help girls grow into womanhood together, share their fears, share their concerns, learn together, and um, and mature together, so that they're better equipped to um, to to be in partnership with others because they know how to be in partnership with themselves and and each other. Excellent point. Excellent point. So my other devil advocates question. Um, For many of us, we are living in the West. And some of the values that we keep, uh, we keep, we keep not dear, but but we we respect is not really respected in the Western culture. Let's say like virginity, a a Muslim girl may just get so embarrassed of saying, oh, I'm virgin or or many of those. So what is your uh, your take on this kind of, Okay, I want to assimilate. I want to be part of this culture. I also want to be true to my culture. But uh, there is a clash between these two ideas. What is your uh, your take on this? Nicole, I know you usually go first. <laughs> yeah, we were doing our rotation. I think it's so important to um, try, try to decrease the dichotomy because, and that's the part of when you take away natural Islamic rights, you're, you're going to make someone run to those values that are not part of the mm-hmm. Muslim religion. So if you can't talk about sex, you can't, everything is bad and it's shameful. Well, then a young person is going to just walk out of their door in mainstream U.S. society and see sex everywhere. And that's going to be their education about it. And so if we don't kind of make our own cultural and religious, um, you know, home appealing, 
then, you know, I think the best way is to bring the young people home by explaining and talking and being open and making it beautiful and appealing. Home, I mean, like, you know, Islamic home as the religion. And, and then they won't necessarily, people are always going to have conflicts, young people, adolescents. But if there's a way and an openness and a sense that there's something that they have of their own that's also appealing, it, they probably will not be as drawn to some of those negative influences that we see out in society. Mm-hmm. Naila. You know, this uh, relates to something that Nicole just said in regard to the home. You know, and I believe that part of it is, is that we also assume that our young, um, our teenagers, our emerging adults, that they are not engaged in any type of sexuality and that they are not exploring it in any way. And they are. And they are not always doing it in the healthiest of fashions. So the other position here is when we take responsibility of teaching about this sexual culture, we can also drive it to its most Islamic and its safest places. I, I believe that the belief is, is that if we discuss it, it is going to encourage someone to do something that's sinful, that's wrong, that's to the extreme. But what if you encourage someone to do something that's healthier, that's more beneficial, that's more loving and caring. Chantal. I think that, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to add as well is that sometimes we prolong adolescence and, you know, we we don't treat young adults as truly emerging adults and have honest, real conversations and talk about what their real needs and desires are, whether that's for intimacy. There's, you know, so interestingly, you know, for Muslims, we see sex as being in the context of marriage, but at the same time, in Western society, it's not common to marry very young. So that's another kind of conflict that we see arising. Young people who have urges, who want to be in partnership and relationship, but we're telling them, you're not old enough to get married. You need to have a degree and a house and a car first. So we have to have some really honest conversations with ourselves and have realistic expectations for real youth living in our times. Mm-hmm. Are we moving towards that direction, you think? More realistic approach to sex, intimacy, love, and any of those areas? At we're least trying. in your... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think we're, I think we're doing, I, you know, I, there's definitely a lot more work to be done. And I don't have a great pulse on, you know, Muslim youth in the Western world to, to talk about it statistically or even anecdotally. Um, but I would like to believe that we are being honest with ourselves or at least challenging of one another to be honest about what we really expect young adults to do. We expect them to remain virgins in sex-saturated societies until they're how old? Until they're 30? Until they're 35? You know, we make all of these real unrealistic expectations and hurdles 
for marriage, but then we say, but don't have sex until so, you're married. Or maybe, maybe they just uh, participate to the deeper feminine to learn more. Stay <laughs> tuned, please. Stay tuned. This hour, we talked to Chantal Blake, advocate for women's holistic experience in life and intimacy, Dr. Nicole Monteiro, instructor and therapist, and Nayla Clay, one half of a husband-wife duo specializes in couple group therapy. At the end of every program, it's our signature to ask our guests to share a statement, a prayer, a story, childhood story about peace, about kindness and compassion. One of the reasons and the theme of this program is a peace. The reason I covered war, I lived through revolution and war, and I believe we are in a war kind of situation with pandemic and with what's going on around us. So therefore, I truly believe that the answer to war is a peace, kindness, and compassion. I'm going to start with Nicole because she usually goes first, <laughs> and then I go to the rest of the group. I thank you so much for your forum and your platform and your focus on peace. I would say that I learned pretty young, maybe when I was a teenager, that the more I could feel okay within myself, have compassion for myself, I didn't necessarily use those words, but the more I could feel good within myself, the better of a person I could be. I could be kinder to others. I could be more open and um, be willing to engage with others. And so that's kind of how I've tried to live my life and, and understanding that focusing on um, my own self-care, my own self-compassion is actually a contribution to making the world a better place. Because when I'm good to me, I can be good to others. And I try to encourage that uh, for other women and um, to, to break down the, the stereotype that being good to yourself is selfish. Actually, it's one way to make the world a better place. Excellent. Chantal. For me, I think it's important for us to remember that each and every person is uh, has been created by God, created by Allah, and that we should honor them in the same way that Allah honors us by creating us. And I specifically wanted to speak to our, our females um, to realize that the womb that we have, it's narrated um, that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, peace be upon him, said the word ar-Rahim or the womb derives its name from ar-Rahman, the most merciful. So we have this connection with the nature of God. And, and Allah said, I will keep good relations with the one who will keep good relations with you, meaning the womb, and sever the relation with whom who severs relationships with you, meaning the womb. So realize that God addressed this very special part of your creation as a woman, um, even before you came into existence. And that when we can have self-love, realizing that we're part of this honorable creation of Allah, then we can also pass that love on to others and that peace and compassion. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Nayla. Yes, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina, very, very rural. I call myself a country girl gone Muslim. And one of the things that my, my mother taught me, because modesty is a part of that culture as well, just as much as, as it is the Islamic culture, we were taught to say no. 
you know, be a young, be a young lady and say no, keep your legs closed, all of, all of these things to say no. You tell the boys no, you say no to marriage until you get the education, until you get all of these things that qualified you for, for marriage. And what I would say to women of any age is, Yes, you have to know when to say no and when it's not safe and appropriate for you, but also to learn where your yes is. No one ever taught me that part. No one ever taught me that there are some times where I can open myself up and I can be secure and I don't have to judge myself and I will be able to share myself with another person. And there needs to be just as much preparation for the yes as there is for the no. Excellent point. Thank you very much, ladies. I enjoyed the conversation. Martin was there helping me out yeah. and really, really thank you. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. Guys. This was a great discussion and so really necessary, not just for Muslim women, but for, I mean, all Muslim couples. And I hope it continues even more. So thank you to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.